0: Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. Indie Game Business is recorded live on Mixer and produced by the Powell Group. Check us out at indiegame.business. Now, let's start the show with your host, Jay Powell and me, Indie. Are you looking for a publisher for your game? Well, we have something special just for you. It's the most comprehensive listing of PC, console, and mobile publishers in the industry. Over 700 companies sorted by platform with links to their websites. You can get the list at www.powellgroupconsulting.com slash publisher list. And you can get it for free. Check it out. What's up everybody? This is Indie Game Business. I'm Indie. That guy way over there. That's Jay. And in the middle we got Vedran Clanic. Am I saying that right?
1: Uh, you're right. You're good. Okay.
0: <laughs> he is the CEO of Ocean Media Games. CEO, owner, right? Yes. All right. That's Excellent.
2: He's the big man in charge. The big man in charge. So, you, I've known Vedran for... 10 12, I don't even know how many years at this point 11. Yeah. 11 11 11 years and you know he has now managed to do something that I wasn't even able to do despite the fact that I like to think I know the industry pretty well um, he has not only you know navigated ocean media through you know years and years of survival in the industry which is one achievement but they have Transitioned out of completely doing work for hire and contract work into doing their original titles. And if you have ever tried to do that, it is extremely difficult. Um, that was the downfall of my first production company was trying to make that transition. Um, so we're, you know, he's gonna share some tips and advice and secret sauce along the way. Um, but veteran, why don't you start out by, you know, telling us how you got in the industry in the first place. Um, And then walk us through your career and what you've done, because you're, I mean, aside from being CEO, you're quite accomplished as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All
1: right. Thanks a lot for the introduction, Jay. Uh, Well, (laughs) how I got into industry? Uh, Well, it all started in 1987 (laughs) when I started programming on C64, you know, so a long time ago when I was a kid, so... How do you get from that point to the point where you really uh, end up in the industry? Uh, I would say, uh, you know, a perseverance <laughs> and uh, being uh, being uh, constantly uh, hooked up with the coding and programming, all kinds of games. Uh, I was actually lucky enough uh, that I was able to witness uh, the whole transition of technology from eight bit. To where we are now, 64-bit. Uh, I, I'll, I'll 64 bit. I lost track
2: somewhere. You know, after the N64 stopped naming them, I don't even know anymore. It's funny though, because myself, you, and Jen, that was on here, the executive director for the IGDA, and I imagine it's because we're all that same like generation and age, we all got started on the Commodore 64 and went from
1: there. So, yeah. Anyway, all right. Sorry. Go ahead. So, uh, I pretty much. You know, I, I developed like so many games through the 90s, but that's really, you know, my, uh, I would say, amateur amateur uh, programming uh, era. Uh, and, and during the 90s, I have graduated uh, the university and uh, actually it was really um, certain circumstances. Uh, I got the first job at Croteam. Uh, to work on a Sirius-M2. Uh, well, that was, that was really uh, kind of... Uh, first, they were looking for a physics programmer. I just graduated uh, aerospace engineering. Uh, and uh, actually, my specialty was in numerical physics, and still is. So, uh, And a friend of mine, uh, actually, who uh, I went with the, to high school, uh, we were going to the same class. Uh, he already got the job there, so, you know, uh, one thing to another, and uh, got the job interview there, and uh, uh, two years later, we had a whole new 3 piece engine <laughs> for for Serious M2, uh, which I developed. Well, uh, it was not really all my effort, uh, especially with uh, the great help was with the uh, technical director, of course, and, and, and all this. Uh, But that was uh, my my first job uh, in the industry and uh, the first big thing uh, that I did there. The thing is that at that time really the company was able to, uh, I would say, afford themselves, Uh, I I think. I have no idea. Uh, They never told me later if they were able to afford it or not. But uh, we did that. We actually did uh, one and a half year uh, of dedicated research to 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 really create uh, something something new when it comes uh, when it comes to the uh, first person shooters in terms of interactivity and all this so just to remind you so at, at that time um, you really didn't have any advanced physics uh, in, in the games unri- un, 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 unless you you were able to license Havok uh, yeah. which was crazily expensive we are talking about two thousand free 2005 you know so uh at that time there were no physics chips and stuff like that so what we did um in protein we have actually created the new core solver i'm really gonna go very technical about this because it's (laughs) important it's important and it's important i would say for the people who get what that is I think, I personally think it's a it's a part of the history in the in the games industry. Um, so what, what we did, we created a new core solver which was contributed uh, during the development of Sirius M2 in the op- to open source uh, project Open Dynamics Engine. Uh, and it's called Quick Step Solver. So I'm actually the guy who made the Quick Step Solver. And uh, after that. After 2005, you have a use of Open Dynamics Engine as an open source solution. In there was an explosion of games from racing to all kind of other games uh, who use that. Uh, if you just know, if you ever 2D physics engine Box2D, which is very popular, that's actually just a derivative. Uh, at the same time, at the same time, there was a company which was called IGEA Physics. Uh, these guys were funded by venture capital in the uh, US, and they were part. Of the, I think they were founded in Switzerland. Uh, they were developing the same thing. Uh, later on, this company was acquired by somebody else. By somebody else, and then they that same technology was acquired by AMD, which in the end ended up as a physics chip. Mm-hmm. So we created practically the same technology um, in in the same moment on the timeline in the industry. Um, and that's it, <laughs> that, that, that's for that part. That, that was actually a pretty, pretty big, pretty, pretty huge thing a, a, at the moment. Uh, and I know that when Serious Sam 2 came out, it was like uh, totally crazy, the amount of uh, dynamic stuff that you were able to do in the game and uh, so, and, and we, we, we really achieved the, uh, I, I would say a really great goal there. It was. It was
2: one of those games that not, I think we had gotten away from that furious Doom-style gameplay, and it didn't really get brought back until Serious Sam came along. And it was, you know, the first one was an absolute hit before it, no one expected it. And so it was very, it, w- it was awesome. I love that game. So, so when did you found ocean media and well
1: that, that's <laughs> then i had then i had uh, actually uh uh and 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 actually i would say uh, a, a life and career defining moment uh actually a very good friend of mine a Schloger, uh who is ceo and owner of big blue bubble uh and and, and my long friend from early 90s here from croatia uh at that time he founded his own company big blue bubble uh in in, in canada and he invited me to to come there and, and and work with him and we already actually worked together in 90s here locally uh and uh but at that time we were not able to you know publish worldwide anything it was still um era of cd roms and uh, floppy disks, uh, and and stuff like that. (laughs) Anyway, uh, and I moved to Canada, uh, and I worked there on uh, Game Advance, Nintendo DS, just came out at that time, and uh, on a number of casual games. And uh, after spending a year uh, there, actually, I returned back. Uh, to Croatia, and then I actually established uh, Ocean Media. And the first thing was that uh, I worked for Big Blue Bubble um, uh, from here, and uh, we were developing uh, finishing a couple of projects. But my general idea was to, you know, start and uh, developing my own company uh, and, and start working on the original uh, titles. And what a fool I was! <laughs> <laughs> it's like, like, I was like really, really naive how the industry works and, and you know, how you make money, and how much really time and energy and effort is required to create your own products. So uh, even though I had, I had a good experience uh, of working on a technical side. But when you start creating your own games and then when you realize that there's a there's a legal paperwork that somebody has to go over, you know, look for the pitfalls in that there's a uh, marketing stuff that somebody has to do. Uh, well, at that time, actually, uh, it was it was not that bad as it is right now, because right now it's a sea full of sharks. Well, it was then, but it was really more like a totally friendly atmosphere. Like games on the big fish were selling for twenty bucks a piece, so <laughs> go figure. Yeah. Um, and, and and still, so I made actually uh, first few games, um, and uh, obviously they didn't they didn't really return uh, the amount of money that I was expecting. So that was really the first unhandled expectation from me to me. Uh, and, and then I said, all right, so let's try to get the client work, you know. And then you start going around uh, to casual connects and stuff like that. And there's no client work because it's simply, you know, like, all the questions that you get is like oh how big is your company uh, how many you know dozens of titles have you made and the stuff yeah like and you don't have anything to show like I just made these two games and I made a bunch of other stuff but nobody cares about it. <laughs> <laughs> and eventually eventually actually it really started rolling but uh, the, I think the defining moment was and that was actually uh, one of my... I would say uh, best best moves was to pursue the development license uh, from Nintendo for Nintendo DS because I already had really uh, experience working with the with the dev kit with the hardware and I really knew the system and I knew that if I have a license developed for Nintendo DS <coughs> I would get more more client work and it really happened that way um, we 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 got one and then two Nintendo DS projects uh, which were pretty much like porting uh, jobs from PC casual game to Nintendo DS and that went really well uh, I did them uh, practically alone with two guys and like three of us made a ton of money I mean at that time like three guys make like in, in, in five, four months, uh, almost like a year salary, you know, it's like <laughs> we were literally swimming in money. It's like, <laughs> okay, well, what, what's going to be next? And we just started uh, rolling. And then uh, one thing, what, what I realized, what, what I always wanted to do, uh, actually, that was really in the early, early days of Hidden Object Games. So uh, we coded a prototype for Hidden Object Engine. Uh, And showed this around to a couple of people and actually managed to get the first job uh, for a PC uh, hidden object game. Uh, And then, you know, the projects just started coming one one, one after another, uh, which was good and bad thing. Uh, Good thing is they were really coming one after another and like uh, we really didn't have to even think about like, what's our next project. We usually have like up to six months in advance. We had clients are coming up with with, with new projects, new ideas. And we have gone through hidden object thing all the way through, through all the possible trends uh, which were happening from uh, early basic, nobody cares. It's just jumbled scene. how it looks like art wise uh, all the way to the fancy books licensing. I'm not talking about Mary Kay. I'm talking about uh, something else. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so when people started uh, doing projects based on the 100-year-old uh, you know, public domain <laughs> books, and then you would have free Jekyll and Hyde hidden object games coming at the same time, <laughs> and stuff like that, <laughs> so, I have seen it all. Um, the bad thing about that was uh, that you end up actually, and, and not just with that, but uh, with the, the hidden object was actually our, our first, I would say, lane of uh, client. There are a number of other uh, things that, between which we managed to uh, diversify, uh, mostly on Nintendo DS and later on 3DS. Uh, which were some, you know, uh, games for kids 7 to 12 years uh, based on kids' license properties on the cartoons and stuff like that. But when it comes to the PC uh, client work, and Mac was picking up uh, slowly, you ended up being casted, uh, and, and you end up in one genre. And it's really hard to break out from that. Yeah. So for years, we wanted to do um, time management games. And you're just not able to score any project, you know, time management game. Because the first question was like, all right, how many time management games did you make? None, but we did like 30 hidden object games. And then, uh, but they
2: stopped listening after you said none. That's the problem.
1: <laughs> yeah. And when you say none, it's like, okay, that's the end of that conversation. <laughs> and, 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 and that was the problem. Uh, uh, and, and I know that it's not just, it was not just with us. I, I know a couple of guys, you know, who are working in uh, racing games, and they're trying to do something else, and it just, it just doesn't work. Because uh, everything what they get on the table is like, oh, here's the next racing game. It's like, but this one is with the Smurfs, you know. <laughs>
2: And, and that, I mean, for for folks that don't know and, and haven't been around as long as as we have, that's exactly how contract work goes. Yes. I mean, and you you do get situations, in, in the the casual hidden object time management bubble that was going on ten years ago is a great example. It's like you know. We were sitting there churning out these games as fast as we can. And, you know, that's where you and I started working a lot in depth together. But as a contract studio, there were so many other companies that were willing and had the capability of doing it. Quality aside, because a lot of the games that came out were just bad, but they were done because people could make a quick buck on them. If you didn't have experience in that genre, no one wanted to talk to you because there was somebody else who did. And so it's a very dangerous place for a developer to be in because like you said, if your focus is on hidden object games and all of a sudden that hidden object game genre goes away,
1: then what do you do next? Then you transition. Exactly. Do something but you don't know what it is no <laughs> uh, uh, like, yeah for me it was a really specific uh, uh, specific time um, between I would say late to 2011 to 2013 that was that was the time of the war uh, for, for the ocean I would say uh, because um, uh, over the like five or six years that we had really started, business, um, I I realized I realized actually the idea of how I base my business and, and the cash flow, uh, and, and we managed to do that, I and mean, we actually managed to do two thirds of the idea, uh, for the for, for, for the full uh, to realize full idea, uh, we simply didn't have a capacity. Because I, I realized that we are getting a lot of DS jobs for Nintendo DS, which was great. I realized uh, we were also getting uh, a lot of PC casual games, uh, 90% hidden objects. There were some puzzle games, but they were really, really minor jobs. And, and I said, okay, the third one, the third uh, source of revenue, uh, we should start doing something original, something on our own. Uh, and, you know, try to push that through the same distribution channels that all these other our clients are doing. You know? And uh, that part we actually never managed to do uh, because you're really, uh, the client work really eats you up. Uh, first, it eats your focus, it eats your energy, and in the end, it even eats your problem because Sooner or later, you're going to end up in downtime uh, between the projects. And what you earned on some other projects, you know, you have to spend that for the paychecks and for everything else uh, between you're getting to the next project. Uh, and, and that never happened. Actually, we really did manage to create one hidden object game, which is even not that badly rated, um, even still exists <laughs> on the portals somewhere in 2011. Um, which generated a really uh, good return on how much we invested. Uh, But all the profits were like totally eaten up by, you know, our downtime uh, at the time. And then we are entering in the era where Nintendo DS is dying. It's practically when Nintendo V came out, Nintendo DS vanished overnight. Literally. And, and that was like six guys who used to work on that. I was simply not able to, you know, secure anymore that you know source of revenue there. So we managed to transform to some maybe a little bit bigger casual projects and all this. But at the same time, uh, you had casual games going down from the price point to 20 bucks in 2007 2008 in 2012 there were two what 299 on big fish yeah, and yeah. then you had to fight to get the collector's edition so that you get featured for like 14.99 but to get in the position to be uh, a developer to create a collector's edition that's really quite the quantum to leap in terms of business and at that time, I realized uh, that there are two things which can happen. Actually, three. And the third really happened. <laughs> One thing is, uh, but, and I actually didn't, didn't expect that that third is going to happen. Uh, first thing is, like, DS is going out. Uh, for we. You, re- you really needed to have a little bit bigger team because it was more serious console. Uh, practically like a PC and uh, you, ha- you you required a, a lot of different resources and, and, and you had to have a 3D engine which we didn't have at the time and uh, so so I said one thing is uh, we're going to go out in business that didn't happen uh, uh, second thing is um, there's going to be an investor who's going to come up with a pile of money and He's going to buy a company that i'm going to present is not dying up and that didn't happen Uh, and the third one is we're going to shift as a company and we're going to start making our own games but i I have no idea how (laughs) with what money and with what people and um actually um the transition the whole transition looked you remember the movie Stargate from the 90s? Yeah. Well, it's stuff like that, you know. You know, at one point you're here, and then you cross through the time gate, and <laughs> then it's just, you know, parons and... <laughs> so, it's like you enter with a team of 15 people, you go through the vortex, you end up there, and the 15 different people that you don't know stand beside you and you are now working with those guys and you are making games and it's a whole different setup and it's a whole different team uh, and it somehow really uh, uh, works already for like I would say good four and a something years. Now, um, so what actually uh, had to happen is the whole transformation of the team because um, we couldn't afford the paycheck, so a number of guys had to go. And over the time, these guys were pretty much uh, some other people took their roles, which are either freelancers or, or, or the contract workers that we used to uh, work with when we needed like an extra extra hand on, on the projects uh, during the production. And somehow you end up, you know, uh, working on, you know, your original titles. Now, how do you work on your original titles? Well, basically, if you want to do that, you you need to continuously think about the ideas, what is that you want to do. And I was really doing that from the day one that I, uh, you know, uh, started my company. So I had ideas what kind of games I want to do. Now, there was really... uh, My ideal ideal transition uh, looked like... The way how I was picturing that for myself in my head was, all right, so we are going to do a client work. We're going to do a couple of really high-profile projects. Uh, Those projects are going to end, and we are going to pile up enough money that we live for a year to make an indie game. It just doesn't happen. (laughs) Yeah, all all right. But explain,
2: I know that, and you know that. Because it, it, I call it that treadmill. And once you're on that treadmill, it's next to impossible to get off of it. Because, like you said, yeah. you know, you're yeah. the profit that you have got coming in is getting eaten up along the way. And so, you, yeah. you, there's, everybody there's, has that same thought. It's like I'm going to do a lot of contract work and save our money, and then we're going to make our game. And it never
1: works out that way. No, no, no. It's it's a trap. It's actually wrong, a wrong lineup. Of- um, uh, what, what, because uh, because uh, developing your own games, uh, it's a totally different animal. Uh, it's it's a different animal from the perspective how you're doing it and and what's the motivation how you're do- uh, for for why you're doing it. So here's the thing: uh, one really big thing which was uh, cutting us down when 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 uh, being fully focused on a client work was. Um, the fact that all the projects were uh, for us paid on a flat fee, and uh, there were really no royalties. So, uh, so at one point, uh, I I was really you know, I was approaching to my forties, uh, and you get to the moment where you sit in a chair, look outside through the window, like, what the hell am I doing here? It's like, what am I doing with my life? Every day, How do I trade my time for what? And then you realize that when you do the client work, you're trading your current time for current money. All right? So you're not generating future money. And then I said, okay, so to generate the future money, you have to be the owner of the products. And to be that, you can only be if you create those to be the most direct and simple way how you end up being on you can become an owner of products if you pay some other people develop them for you but that's if you have a lot of money but when you're in a position where you don't have a lot of money but you have skill, you have engine, you have technology and you have a couple of guys that are willing to enter that risk with you uh, then you really have to make a plan, figure out what is the game that you're going to put your old chips on and you just play on that bet you just roll the dice um, I was lucky enough that I drew I drew free game ideas that I said I'm gonna bet on all these free ideas we're gonna start with the first one then second, then third I never came to the second one because the first one really worked, and we were so busy that at the time that we would go to the second one, it was not viable anymore because it was like a, a year later. So that um, was 2014. 2013 we, we were cutting out completely. Client, actually, we only had one bigger project and. That was that really didn't go well, and in the end, actually, it was cancelled. Uh, but it was cancelled due the because the market shifted, and and the client figure out that they cannot distribute this game anymore.
2: Which uh, happens a lot.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, the thing is that uh, Big Fish uh, started developing uh, their own exclusive, which would actually compete with our title, and 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 and, and the client realized that. The, it's just too, too much risk. And we were at such point in the production that they just said, you know, it's easier to kill it now than, you know, we all suffer like six months later and kill each other. So, uh, <clears throat> so I said, okay, so, uh, and, and then at that point, I had some money to, 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 to risk and, and to go uh, to this own project. And that was Zotrix. Uh, that was okay. this retro looking PC uh, retro space shooter game with the very basic storyline, aliens attacked us and we are now defending. Oh, very original. (laughs) But but, uh, the thing is, from some reason, that game and the visuals and, and how it worked, the game mechanic had a really strong appeal and created a uh, community on Steam because that was still the days of the green light. Really, the last—that is the last year of the green light—and the game managed to pass through the green light uh, within a month uh, with only me and one other guy doing portion on Steam. So uh, and. And and we we figured out that we hit the vibe. Now the thing is, I said, okay, so what we need is we need to create a game, and in the game, which is going to create some cash flow for us for the next couple of months. Because I was not planning anymore for six months or for a year in advance. You start playing for two to three months in advance to figure out where you're gonna get the money. But the idea was that we need to do that very quickly. And we managed to hammer out the game in free. We put it out on Steam, and it was like awesome. Um, The paycheck that came next month was like wow. Um, After that, uh, the game got really popular and really got one publisher uh, liked the game, and uh, we got the project and money to put the game to PlayStation 4, which was fantastic, which gave us additional promotion and all this. and we started you know creating this whole community and we managed to get like fifty thousand people on Steam into our group and, and and you know and then you figure out slowly, you start figuring out that, like, what kind of activities, what is it that you do every day when you come in the office and develop your own game? What what are those things that are getting you to, you know, get to the next month and to the next month and then to the next project? And how do you roll from one project to another? And it's completely different mindset than, you know, doing a client work. It requires a lot of discipline. That's without a question, because otherwise you would be dead, uh, dead in the water. Uh, it requires a lot of discipline, and and when you and there's no there's no um, when you figure out uh, what you want to do, what kind of game, uh, and and you drew, you 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 put down uh, your plan on the paper like. What is that you have to do for the game mechanic, for the design, for art and all this. That's it. There's no changing idea. You don't have that luxury. It's like you have to just go execute and to execute in the best possible way you can. And and, and that's what you do. And uh, bit by bit, you know, um, here you go. We're like four years later and it's rolling better and better and our games are, you know, uh, now played on like every single platform that is out there so So
2: how did you being as you were doing steam games in the green light era and now post green light how did you see that market change did things get better or worse once green light went away
1: um i'll tell you what what the real challenge and issue there is um for developer well it you need to know how to how how uh how to look at how to look at steam from the perspective that's really going to work and i figured a perspective then and i figured the perspective now and I'm going to give away a little gem uh, here uh, to maybe other indie developers. Um, as an indie developer, uh, there is an always question, what kind of game I'm going to make, and to what niche I'm going to position myself you know, to make money. And to do that, primarily you're looking for Steam. And I know today, now you, you can probably look into Nintendo Switch because it's uh, more accessible uh but just talking about the steam um at the time when the green light was still on obviously you didn't have a flood of games but there's really there there is there is a way how you can even get through the noise and i'll tell you exactly uh, the rule of thumb which works and we are doing it and, and and it's showing results but to go to step back uh at the time uh, when you have a green light, uh, you just have to dive into Steam Community, and you have to start building relationships. I would say with the game. You know, uh, it's it's literally like where I have been within the Steam. If you just know. <laughs> <laughs> To what kind of people I, I was talking to from russia brazil argentina china and what kind of underground businesses they run on steam and on the side of the steam that's insane that, that's hard to come to comprehend how that works how that operates you t- are you talking about to get things greenlit <clears throat> That's one thing. The other thing is how people are trading stuff on Steam. Um, One of the big problems of Steam, and Valve really doesn't want to admit that, because it's part of their belief, is their ecosystem with with the items and trading cards and how you can monetize them. That's where you, that's if you would just know what kind of business cases people make just based, based, based on those ideas, how that works, that's freaking insane. <laughs> uh, we're talking about the people who are running uh, farms of bots for, and that's how you get the idle as, as, as a genre on Steam, you know uh where you have uh people are running like 10,000 virtual steam machines running playing idle clickers to drop the trade cards and then to automatically have other bots and scripts who are combining them into items into items into items and then they go back on the steam and then trade them and make money it's like insane so there are so many things uh, that you can do there and uh, once you realize that actually uh, you have to somehow touch that crowd as a developer to figure out how you can ride on their way to promote you within their communities so th- that, 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 that's one part uh, uh which which happened uh at the time when the green light was there and there were all kind of things which you can do uh how to green light your game and all this uh i'm happy to say that we really didn't have to do that uh the game was really successful on, on, on its own and uh there, especially the second idea which was right green but we never made it to the game. It's called Ice Cream. But that's that's a different story. That's a game which is 10 years in making now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's on the level of prototype since 2007. It's incredible. And one day it's going to come out. So um, after 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 Greenlight, you had a uh, flood of all these uh, crappy games, uh, which are all done just for the purpose that I just described. They're just used for the uh, virtual... Steam machines, farming, and drop trading. Cards. If, if if Steam just closes this valve, well, that would be fantastic, because then uh, the, the Steam uh, as as a, as a channel for uh, really uh, uh, nurturing uh, the environment for the developers would would come to the full purpose. Right now, it's it's not that. But if you want to make a game on Steam. And you want to make money? How do you pick to what genre uh, you're gonna make a game? So here's a rule of thumb, which actually uh, has uh, has has good 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 gives you a a good good way interaction. Uh, First thing, what a lot of people would say: Oh, I'm gonna use Steam Spy. No, you're not gonna use Steam Spy because it's crap. Alright, Steam Spy, Steam Spy is yeah. absolutely unusable. Whoever thinks that it's uh, usable is just the spy. Alright. <laughs> so, and, and everybody else, everybody else, everybody else wants to be cool like that guy, and they're all oh, we are searching now. It's just crap. Just, just, just numbers.
2: Disregard the show that we did talking about Steam Spy. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to talk to you about that, Jay.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, all right, here's a question. Because, you know, I use Steam Spy, but I don't use it nearly as much now that they did the, you know, Steam did the crackdown on it. Here's a question. So, why do you use the
1: Steam Spy And why do you... We have,
2: because there's no other data that anyone can yeah, get outside the of MPD. For example, what data are you interested in? The old MPD data we used to get. But you don't get that from Park. God, no No, M P D doesn't get it anymore because so much of it has gone digital. You know, we yeah, used to we get a nice spreadsheet, spreadsheet that Battlefield 1942 sold ten million copies at Best Buy this you know month and all Yeah, but you, you never got but you never got that information from Park. No, no. No. You get estimates. But I mean that's all you have. I mean it's a, No.
1: No. I'm listening. You, the devil is in the details. So let me guide you through the details. The only information that you get on a steep. Is the number of owners. Yes.
2: Not necessarily how many bought it. It's the owners. Yeah, exactly. All right. So, so then what do you use
1: in its place? There was actually a GDC talk about this. And when you combine two ideas, then you get to the point where you can get the meaningful information. It's actually Steam itself, but it goes like this. Uh, There is one smart move that Steam did, uh, which enables this idea to work. Uh, They have changed how they count uh, the reviews for the titles. All right. So now they don't count anymore where you receive the title for free, where you just got the uh, stinky but they count titles which you really purchased. So uh, there's a rule of thumb, and this was done by an experiment and it was confirmed that it works. You go to the title, you see what is the uh, number of reviews when you have like positive, negative, all you take this number and multiply it by 70. Seven zero. That's the rough, very good estimate number of copies sold. So, so only copy. one in seventy people will actually leave a review. Yeah, yeah, because that that that's just the uh, the number which is uh, purely psychological and social norm. Uh, there is a GDC talk about tech. Uh, a guy did that test and he got the sales numbers, real sales number from like dozens of developers and he managed to figure out this analytics just from analyzing the data it's actually (laughs) uh the (laughs) data mining uh information and it's very interesting so how do you let's say for example i'm i'm you know uh we are starting to work on a dungeon so here's the thing uh one of the most popular dungeon teams out there uh, Is actually from 2012, it's called uh, Legend of Grimlock. These guys from Germany. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Legend of Grimlock costs 15 bucks. Uh, They have 4,750 reviews. Times 70 times 15 bucks, and that's potentially gross revenue of that game. What I do then is I slash this by two because there are all kind of discounts over the time, you know, you sell the game on a discount, 30, 50%, 70% in all this. And you get to the point where you have the figure, that's potentially the revenue that you can get into that niche if you make a game, which is close to that, but you have to really be. But it's worth a shot. The thing is, and, and, and that's how you can very easily find out, uh what might be a very good niche for you as a developer. Why I'm saying for example this because there are not so many dungeon crawlers on Steam. That they're actually accept the legend of Grimlock, I don't know if there's any. You know
2: there's not there's there's not uh, there's some in development, but it is one of those genres that you know ironically yeah. almost got tubed by publishers but now is back.
1: Yes and it's it's interesting that this genre is getting back but the potential revenue for that is 2.5 million bucks. And, is- and that's the reality. And I just, I just digged you exactly the niche where somebody, you know, can go and, and now it's all just, you know, a question of you as an indie developer, like, okay, so there is a potentially, you know, uh, a treasure of 2.5 million bucks. Um, what does it take for me to create a game like that? Like, does it take like 20000 bucks, 50000 a 100000 How do I do that? And all this. Because let's face it, like these games, they're not that hard to make, especially today. I made one in the 90s when you had like only one megabyte of RAM. And it was very hard to squeeze the whole dungeon in, in the memory. But today, you know, with like, I know, 32 gigs of RAM on a gamer's machine, it's like... Uh, easy peasy.
2: So uh, it's Wait, much easier. has got a question. Do the positive negative review ratio does that affect that seventy times multiplier? No, no, no. no. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's, just the the amount,
0: it's just the amount of reviews, then, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: Because obviously, somebody's probably even more likely to leave a bad one than they are a a real one. I mean, a good yeah. one.
1: Well, of course, yeah. <laughs> that happened. So uh yeah, but that 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 that, that thing matters. And uh I can I, I, I can I can confirm that on the games that we release that's very very close. It's rough, but it's very it's it's very good As It it really works like that. Um for now. So so that's how you can uh cut the uh the magic question is, how do you do that on Apple App Store? <laughs> on the App Store,
2: yeah. on the Switch, on the Xbox, oh, you know, all, yeah. all the other platforms that you have to release on the yeah. app. Uh
1: thing is that, that there is all, because here's the thing. Uh, uh there has to be a number for every app store for every platform because uh it's it's really uh it's 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 a social it's a social uh, it's a, how should I say it, it, it it's a, it's a social thing that people you know they want to leave the review because they want to leave leave the review from a couple of reasons. One reason is because most of them they're jackasses, because they the <laughs> so <laughs> that's those. And and because they have to look smart, uh and, and all kind of other things what motivates them. Nobody knows that, even psychology. But uh if you combine, you know, all the amount of reviews. And you compare that and I, I can sure that you know the, the digital publishers who are in charge, they can they can figure out exactly, you know, the correlation between units sold and the number of previews and all this. And there has to be, you know, uh, an X constant number on every platform that works like that. So somebody who has twenty or thirty games can probably go out and, and figure out, you know, what's the number. And, and, and based on that, you can just go ahead and, and have a safer estimate, because if you don't want to pay for, I don't know, a penny or whatever is of the- Which of is the, ridiculously yeah. expensive. Yeah, I know. So so for, for, for a little indie developer, you have to, you know, uh, think smart about things like that and, and come to ideas like this to, uh, to, to, to get your way and (laughs) there's no other way so it's all it's all it's in the way or there's no way (laughs) (laughs) yeah we uh Uh,
2: app annie won't even give you a price until you call and talk to one of their salespeople uh, because uh, they want uh, to know how much money you have
1: yeah but the best thing would be just to call wait you cut out just to call where to call them on your yacht, you know, for a dinner, yeah. then, then they would say, oh, you're granted, you're granted like, oh, a hundred thousand, no problem. It's
2: absolutely, and it is. I mean, that's, that's part of the problem is that these developers don't have access to that kind of reviews and to that kind of market knowledge. So they can't really make informed decisions and yeah. it creates this, this cycle. So, so are you I love the insight on if Steam would get rid of the Steam cards, which I don't disagree with you. I don't see the point in them other than fostering, you know, a gray market, black market, and encouraging shovelware. So what do you think about, like, Discord yesterday? You know, they finally launched their store. You, Humble has grown to the point that, you know, they're a very viable partner now. How do you feel about you know, the other PC platforms for sales in addition to Um uh,
1: Well, here's the thing. I don't have any, any experience with any others. And, uh, I think it's, it's a great thing that they're, that they're coming up, um, until, until, uh, developers have a, a better, better insight. Like what are the volumes, you know, uh, of, of the players that, that you can reach through those distribution channels, it's gonna be hard. I know that they're, they're like, Humble is big uh, and, and all this, but Humble has a whole different uh, uh, philosophy on, on, uh, on how to get uh, uh, games to the people because of their, you know, like, uh, high volume, low-priced low, low uh, bundles and, and stuff like that, which is, which is their majority. Uh, uh, of purchases uh, I, I wouldn't say uh, that there are people actually I would say that there are but I know I, I, in, in my opinion from what I hear from other people and how, how people look at that if you're buying games on Steam like you would not go to buy your game on the same price on a humble bundle it's just because I know you would uh, because you have your game, all games organized in the Steam library and whatnot and stuff like that, so uh, there would have there would have to be uh, something that that uh, would be motivational for developers to start getting there more and more. Right now, I can understand how indie developers are getting to every possible channel where they can, because that's the only thing what they can do if they don't know how to market the game. So they think that the game has to be in every channel. But to do that, actually, and not every developer can do because it takes really a lot of time and energy uh, to prepare the game for one channel, for another channel. It's not just uh, to compile Humble, the game. Humble, okay.
0: Humble gives you a Steam case when you buy them.
1: Yeah, I know. I know that part. Uh, but I don't know, for example, for the Discord, I don't know, we'll see, the time will tell, it's hard to see.
2: And, but see that, all right, so that right there is interesting though, because, you know, you have the same mindset that a lot of the other studios have, you know, you're not operating in a bubble. And so if you're sitting back and going, yes, we have these other options for distribution, but it's a lot of work. And it opens up more issues with possible bugs. And I don't know what my sales are going to look like coming from it.
1: That's an issue everyone's having. You're not alone there.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: It's like, like I, I remember, I remember the time like 2008 to 2010. So you had your own casual game. And then I had a fantastic idea oh there's like 25 casual portals so i'm going to put my game on all the portals like i got the contracts for distribution and you can see that they're all templated they're all the same and all the companies are registered in cyprus none of them in states (laughs) and uh, and 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 and, and, but they're you know big shots uh and, and and i'm figuring out okay now i'm gonna put my game there and then you figure out, okay, there are free channels like Big Fish, Game House, and Ivy, and all the others you don't cross with the sales, of the boundary wire transfer. You know, it's like ridiculous. And and you have busted your ass for every single one for some reason. Like your game runs in 1024 768 and they need like full HD screenshot. Like how? <laughs> Oh, God, yes. I, re- I remember because I we would take and, those and games. And and for for every single channel, you have to prepare a marketing package, which is yes. like a three, three days' work for every channel. <laughs> then for 20 channels, you work like almost two and a half months to get the game out. And then from like 19 channels, you don't get to die, like for years. Nothing. I just got from Amazon. I just got oh, – this is it. amazing. I just got from Amazon – I got real paper check on 35 bucks because some of my games sold on Amazon. And I, I went to the bank today and they said like, oh, we are not taking checks to the companies, you know, like for the last three years because European Union just said like, you know, and we are not doing that anymore. So it's amazing. Oh, so
2: so, that, I didn't, so one, it's frankly sad how poorly Amazon has tried to attack our industry.
1: Oh, yeah. And they're still attacking it
2: very poorly. <laughs> yeah. and, and you and I have experience working with Amazon directly, and this isn't a shock to us because we see how they manage projects. But, oh, yeah. I remember you're talking about the flashcards,
1: right? Yes.
2: <laughs> God almighty. <laughs> uh, but, you know, they're sitting there with What is the statistic? It's like 10 or 15% of any any kind of purchase made online is purchased at Amazon. It's a ridiculous number, but they haven't been able to put a dent in Steam. And I had a little bit of hope for them when they did the, you know, here's the uh, free with Prime and the Twitch stuff and they had their own little executable to run Twitch. And then you know, I didn't use it and nobody uses it. Everybody still uses the website and you can't you're not selling games through there like you could through you know, through whatever. And part of it is, yeah, people have and and Andy and I talked about this yesterday. People have their library in one place and they don't want to have to go I mean, I look at the side of my monitor and I've got Battle.net, Itch.io, Utomic, Steam, Epic Launcher, and Discord. And I'm sure there's one or two that I can't even see because I have windows open. Yeah,
1: well, you probably don't have
2: Origin.
1: I actually I do have
2: Origin. It's just I can't see it right now. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, I do. And, and it's, you know, a pain in the ass. And, and so yeah. that's a very realistic problem. I think Discord... Is setting themselves out a little differently because one, you always have this disc- well, most of us always have Discord open anyway. You're not opening something else in order to play a game. And they let you import everything into the I haven't done it yet because I don't know how many hours it will take, but you know, you can import your library so you can run it from the Discord thing. You know, getting people to jump to another platform or another application to buy games is a gigantic pain in the ass unless you're somebody like epic that says hey you're going to be playing fortnite anyway so you know open this up or blizzard with battlenet which is yeah
1: yeah but that's a whole different story yeah those are that's that's a different ball game right there it's like why would they even want to be on steam well they don't have to be that's the thing it's yeah like, you well know yeah that, that, exactly yeah So what do you think,
2: looking back, is the the best decision that you've made in the last five or 10 years in terms of moving Ocean Media to where it is now?
1: The fact that I really decided to move. To what? what? Yeah. Uh, uh, the, The best decision that I decided to transition Actually, uh, I'm, uh, and, and at the same time, the worst, the worst idea, the worst thing that I did is that I did that like maybe two years earlier. Um, uh, that's that's the whole thing. But uh, that, 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 that's, for example, from current perspective and from, from the wisdom that I have now. But uh, looking back, it, it's it's really it's really hard to say if I really could, because just because of the circumstances of. Uh, because some decisions are really made, you know, based based on the moment where you are on your position, uh, with your uh, you know legal obligation towards the employees, towards the, all kind of other things that you have uh, when you run a company, and uh, towards the uh, I don't know the cash flow that you're generating, and you know it's if you're generating you know X amount now, and you know that in five months you're going to generate X slash five, you know, it's, it's not easy, it's not easy uh, a, a decision to make, but um, I, I'm glad that I did. Uh, actually, that's one thing. There's one other thing that I did, uh, which was just a byproduct of the whole thing. I didn't go to the trade show for years. That, um, but, uh, I haven't traveled to a single <laughs> show this year. Yeah, because but I, I have been to far better vacation. <laughs> you know, uh, what, is the, what is this vacation you speak of? <laughs> I don't know I I, I spent like weeks uh, in I went two weeks in Bali and to Japan and all, all kind of around the world and, and stuff like that because. Um, uh, you're, we, we, when you really start rolling uh, your you're indie titles who are really making money and, and get you going, uh, you realize that that's what you have to do. Uh, go to the trade shows, uh, not that crazy, you know, it's rather thinking like where are you going to go on a vacation with you know, your wife or something. So. Uh, that's that, that's like uh, a, 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 a far more, far more uh, content and and, and, and relaxed uh, environment to to operate. So um,
2: yeah. So are, there's one other thing I want to talk about, and that's you you and I have spoken about this at length as well, and it's the cycles that we see in the industry. And oh yeah you know everybody's always like oh the industry's changed it's so new and it's so different and we're like
1: no it hasn't the only thing that i figured what what is changing is uh the management's in the big publicly traded companies who didn't satisfy the q reports your sound cut out right there uh well, I, I said the only thing what is changing management, management in a big public trading companies who didn't satisfy the latest quarter. But that hasn't changed. It's been like that for years. <laughs> I, know,
2: yeah, yeah. I,
1: I know. but I know. But that is also constant, you know, <laughs> but <laughs> the, the managements are changing. So that, That's one thing. Uh, uh yeah uh we talked about it recently and, and one of the things that that i i said to myself that, that's one interesting fact so uh, we as a company ocean is a company close to hundred between 100 100 years, uh in in what 13 almost 14 years and uh out of all those there is only one and that's a ski ball, which was done last year is a 3d game all other games are 2D games. And I figured out um, somewhere around the year 2000, even before I started uh, working fully in the industry, I said, like, I think I could be making 2D, like, action platformers or what kind of games for the next, I don't know, 20 years. We are now close to those 20 years, and I have really done that. I, I have practically really worked on like 2D or kind of some kind of games. And, and then you realize that, you know, like, I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen next year when new Atari box comes out. I don't know, a new version of Pong? Or, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy. But uh, um, uh, the cycle switch, like, dungeon crawlers are coming again. Uh, which was like a total surprise uh, because I know that the number of them are in development and, and they look fantastic. Uh, well, Minecraft is uh, doing more. Well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, uh, so 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 the, the cycles which are happening are, are uh, I don't know they're, they're interesting, but uh, I must say I'm, I'm, I'm long enough around to already see the pattern and. Uh, uh, mark my words in two years there's going to be a, a really a flourish of new uh, real-time strategy games well
2: EA's already like putting feelers out there to see if it's worth doing another command and conquer but you know, those companies aren't going to take the big risk I mean we wouldn't have if it weren't for indie teams and digital distribution we wouldn't have the dungeon crawlers like you mentioned uh, space space combat games would be completely gone because nobody wanted to touch them uh the big rpgs like you know pillars of eternity and and you know beam dogs even gone back and remastered all the uh baldur's gate games and put them on ipad for god's sakes you know it's a lot of these genres that we wouldn't even have now because people have the ability to go and do it you know themselves and so you know in addition to the, I, th- I, I had never thought about the 2D part of it, but you're right. You look at the big indie successes this year, you know, everything from Graveyard Keeper to Celeste, all of these games are all 2D. They're not, you know, exactly. 3D games going out and trying uh, to, you know.
1: A Stardew, Elliot. Yes. It's like, who would say Zelda-like 2D game in 2017 would? T cast, you know? <laughs> I mean, and, and
2: and even that is is building off of the old, you know, time management games and the strategy games that we did in the casual world. But you know, we've even seen the the business model go around, and so you know, way back in in the Big Fish days, and it's 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 been long enough that there are people out there that don't understand and don't know what Big Fish was, but for all the people that are complaining about Steam's 30% that they take, Big Fish used to take 70. You, as the developer, got 30% of your money, not, you know, the other way around. And, you know, what you said about the the um, collector's edition is right. They drove the price down, and then you had to do it. Collector's edition, but they wouldn't even sell your collector's edition unless they approved it, and so yeah. it, you know, that was a major factor in going down to the, to the free to play games, and so we've done free to play casual hidden object titles for years, but now you know with with the games that you're doing like Julie's Sweets, I mean it's a time management game, but it's not free to play. You've actually that model that comes back to what are you selling that one for? Five ten dollars. Ten bucks. Yeah. It's that number. That model is back. Ten bucks and it's selling. It's unbelievable. So I mean it's 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 fascinating, you know, the fact that we keep having these cycles, but you know, nothing really changes at the end of the day. If you know, I agree, I would love to have seen Discord come out and say, We're not gonna take thirty percent of the game, we're gonna take, you know, ten or fifteen or or whatever. Because, you know, in a sense, Tim Sweeney has a, you know, a point last year when he was like, these companies take too much for basically just doing a transaction. But, you know, they are doing more than just a transaction.
1: And, you know, there even are, the transaction is being done by credit card operators. It's yeah. Not
2: <laughs> but, you know, those credit card operators aren't like putting your game out in front of other people. So there is a little more that these stores do, but... You know, we're seeing these cycles come back around again,
1: and, you know, nothing really changes. No, it, it's, a, it, it's it's pure shape-shifting, actually.
2: <laughs> a bunch of lycanthrops. That's basically what we're dealing with here at yeah. the end of the day. So, you know, you, you, you persevere through all of the contract work days and you know your your methods for going out and marketing because you know when you're doing that you're marketing your company you're not really marketing your game because if you're getting a flat fee from a a publisher or whoever a media company or whoever it is to do the game you're never going to see a royalty anyway so you you've changed and now you're you've made it through the original titles and one thing that i think you'll agree is you don't have to sell a million, two million copies as an indie team to That's be a successful.
1: That's a point, because uh, because uh, the success has uh, now it, it's a framed in a different way for a new developer. Uh, it, it depends how you tailor it uh, by 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 your capabilities and, and what do you say. I'm happy with. Uh, of course, everybody would be happy. Like five million copies sold, yeah, but yeah. L- 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 let's get real. Uh, if, if you if you sell ten or twenty thousand copies on like ten bucks, that's it. You're really you you, you can make at least one or two new games, <laughs> and and, uh, and 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 continue uh, building your audience and uh, all kind of stuff that you're building around. So uh, yeah, uh, the success has 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 uh, has uh, uh, it, it, it's on a different scale uh, for, for an indie developer, and uh, a lot of people probably not even aware. Actually, it's not that hard to achieve that. I mean, it is. You you have to really work hard, uh, but uh, you, you can get there. That, that, that's that's for sure. So let me ask you this: How are
2: how are you marketing your mobile games versus how you are marketing the the Steam and the Nintendo Switch, PS4, Xbox games? What are you doing to get it out there and, you know, to get some sales going on those?
1: Just like asking, you know, famous chef, like, what's he is I'm kidding I'm kidding I'm kidding (laughs) Um, well yeah that's really um, that's probably uh, know how that uh, you you build over time and uh, you're constantly learning Um, so for mobile games uh, mostly doing really uh, Facebook ads that's one thing but the reality is of the Facebook ads uh, is how you figure out, you know, how to properly target uh, your 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 ad, and and, and for that really goes uh, down to figuring out who is really your audience, um, in, in what countries and all this. Um, now uh, on the mobile side, even even small and indie developers. They have um, a lot of tools which are free, available um, for integrating analytics and all this. But the reality is that nobody tells you like everybody has, you know, like 10 different uh, analytics services, which are free, which you can integrate in your mobile. And then what? Like a lot of people even don't understand. What are the cohorts? What are the segments? And and, and stuff like that. So you really have to dive in and figure out how that works. Um, On top of that, um, what we started doing recently and and figuring out uh, is is, is something which really high profile companies, they have like a number of people and and the whole departments uh, employed just to do how to focus your marketing and how to track properly um, your dollar spent uh, on your audience on your channels. Actually, in other words, how to the real uh, attribution trackers and combine them with your advertising campaigns. And we started using uh, user acquisition through advertising networks. So um, there are a number of bands I'm not going to advertise any of these uh everybody can google uh those and number of those are really uh really uh free and easy to integrate but but it it really takes time to figure out all the pieces of puzzles how do you combine the marketing mechanism so when you put 500 dollars to the facebook ad that generates like two or three thousand dollars in sales for example uh i would say that's a good result if you manage to do that then you're, 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 you're figuring out. to do that honestly you really need to uh and it, it goes back to the whole philosophy of developing your product and and and, and about your price point on 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 a, on the a, more on a, on a, on a, a mobile space first thing is i don't think that in the developed should price their game less than five bucks on, on, on App Store. That's one thing. Uh, the other thing is, uh, when you price your game five or 10 bucks, you have enough margin to spend for the user acquisition. Because here's the thing, something that a lot of people know or they don't believe, once you start doing user acquisition, it freaking really works. If you get gaming, it's, it's literally like, imagine that walmart built you know their mall and they put it in the middle of the nobody knows for it who's gonna buy it in walmart and nobody so it is it is the whole the basic principle the whole basic principle is to to, to get your game uh out in, but you really need to figure out how you're going to uh focus uh, focus your 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 audience. What we usually do is uh, we do a test for a month uh, with three or four different ads that we have general basic idea in the start where our audience might be, and then when we see where do we get when we figure out okay we we are seeing here the bigger numbers the better numbers and this and that. And then you just steer your campaign in, in, in a different ways. And then at certain point where you figure out the uh, that your attribution is, giving uh, and if you have money, you you know just pump up the volume. And,
2: and which is a good point because we've always seen for years that user acquisition is so expensive and it's inhibitive, and you're dropping. We talked about it last week with George you know, they're dropping six figures on user acquisition, but they're doing that for free to play games. And so it's much easier when you're doing it for a premium game, because you know, you know, the the, the breakdown is much more clear in terms of this many people are gonna download it and your conversion rate is going to be X. And so you can figure out what your cost to acquire somebody is. Doing
1: it for a free to play. And- Play play free to play game as an indie developer. It's crazy. Um, it's crazy. If you don't have or don't know somebody who show who can show you how to do that, it's a suicide. You, you simply can't do that because that's that's literally like um, like uh, walking on a thin line. Yeah. It's one one step and you're done.
2: And and you don't have the money to make an impact anyway as an indie dev. You don't yeah. have. 300000 dollars a week to throw into, you know, oh, yeah. user acquisition. So oh yeah yeah absolutely. All right, veteran. I've got to get ready to roll because I've got to go pick up the uh, pick up the little one from school. Um, you know, dad power. Thank you so much for being here. You know, it's awesome that we get to share this knowledge. Do you want to come back on Halloween and talk about? Industry horror stories. Ooh,
1: um, I might. Yes, yes. <laughs> We all know some. Um, oh yeah. So, so we're gonna do that the,
2: uh, on on Halloween. Uh, if you have questions, veteran uh, is on our Discord page, Discord server, whatever that thing is. Um, and I'll pop the information up there. So feel free to join us. Uh, he is in one of the, illustri- the illustrious group of you know guests of the show. Um, Indy, you got anything on, our, on on the outro here? Anything we need to cover?
0: Um, not really. That was a super interesting show, though. I learned a lot. That's why I'm silent in the background here, just absorbing <laughs> all this information because this is like awesome. totally out of my realm of things that I've done before. So.
1: You know. There you go. Well,
0: I did make a game and it did sell 10 copies and it did take me a year and a half to make. So maybe that will be a, a part of uh, the horror, one of the horror stories. No, <laughs> you, just, you
2: just have to optimize your parameters. It's all fine. Yeah, in, you don't get to call it a horror story because you actually made it to launch. You yeah, did I did, make, watch, it like... watch.
0: I did <laughs> make it to launch. I did make it to
1: launch. Well, then the only thing that you have to change make a 10 years a 10, 10 games in a year that, that's, the only that's thing. just 10 <laughs> games in a
0: year yeah that sounds like no problem no i'd actually really put a sour taste in my mouth and i really didn't want to like be in game development after that so i kind of shifted what i was doing but yeah, no, it's a good show. So, what is our next show? Our next show is Wednesday. It's a surprise. It's also a surprise known as show. I
2: haven't got it nailed down yet. Yeah, it, Friday we're it, going to be. It's just back. gonna be
0: me and Jay playing Fortnite.
2: That's all it is. It could, oh God, that'll be a nightmare. <laughs> um, <laughs> we we will have somebody. I've got a couple of folks I'm talking to. We're just trying to get everything sorted out. And if not, there's plenty of stuff that you and I need to catch up on. Yeah. Anyway, there's a lot so, of news for sure. We'll, we'll be here one way or another on Friday. The twenty-sixth though, that's you're gonna be gone that day. I'll be and gone that day. We actually despite what it says down below on the schedule, we're not gonna have a show that day because I've got things I'm doing in the midst of that too. Um but yeah, I'm gone from yeah. Sunday till Sunday, I believe. At TwitchCon. TwitchCon.
0: Yep. All right, ma'am. All right,
2: thank, thank you, Veteran. Yes, you are you so always much. welcome on the show. Thanks so much for sharing your knowledge. Um,
1: Thank you, guys. It was uh, really a pleasure being there with you.
0: Thanks, and if you guys are new watching, just make sure and click the follow button so you can get notified when we go live. Peace. Exactly.
1: Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more
0: about the show and our online business networking events at indiegame.business.